You're listening to the Teen Wolf Rewolf. Hi, we just want to remind all of you guys to get out and vote in your primaries in your states if you live in the United States. Uh, please do not vote for Bloomberg. Or Biden. Or Biden. Uh, I mean, whatever. Like, if you're going to vote for Biden, I guess I feel less gross about that than I do about Bloomberg. But if you vote for Bloomberg, you are a idiot. And a cop. And a cop, yeah. And, I don't know, Joe Biden can no longer string two sentences together, so... Yeah, people are making, like, the whole, like, Bernie's too old argument. Bernie has shown no signs of stopping. No, and Joe Biden's like, you know the thing. You know the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, you're like, what? <laughs> I mean, yes, I do, but shouldn't you also know that thing? Yeah, I mean, yes. like, for anybody who's curious, we love oversharing. Like, if we're endorsing any candidates, it would be Liz Warren and Bernie Sanders. Um... But honestly, just get out and vote because it is your civic duty and also your right as an American if you live here. Um, and if you also live in a voting country, I'm sure most of our listeners do. Um, and you should excise that right because, one, it makes you feel really cool and offers you this great superiority complex of wearing an I voted sticker. I, You know the joke in The Breakfast Club when Anthony Michael Hall is like, why do you have a fake ID so I can vote? Like, yeah. I feel like that joke is so relatable to all Gen Zers at the moment. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I have a fake ID so I can vote. Yeah. I, I um, We wish you had a fake ID so you could vote. You're 25. No, but like when I was in high school. <laughs> oh, yeah. At like 16. I would have loved to have voted in the last Obama election. I could not have. That was my first one. I was. I remember when I was like... I don't know, learning like math and also about voting, like so circa like elementary school math and social studies. I remember doing the math and realizing that I wasn't going to be able to vote until I was 20. And it like for president, obviously I could vote in local elections when I was 18, but I was like so bombed. (laughs) I was so sad that I couldn't vote when I was 18 for president, obviously. I mean, I voted in Philly and it was Obama's last term. So there wasn't anybody who was really like uh, nervous about it, Mm -hmm. but it was still a really special moment. I... Uh, lest we forget, nobody was really that nervous last time around. That's true. The false sense of hope really made the whole thing feel so much worse. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, I had bought, we'd bought Prosecco, we'd ordered Pizza House, we were so excited. I went home, and I was like, because I, I went home to vote, because I like to vote in Wayne County, and I, from school, <laughs> it's a 45 minutes ass, like I really stretched myself I to go home. I flew on an airplane. Yeah, I, I know, I went literally, a, you know, an hour drive to go home to vote, and me and my mom were sitting on the couch, and we were like you know, watching like California's votes go in and whatever. We're feeling so good. And then it was bad. And then my dad, who is a journalist, so kind of knows what gets some of the reports early, (laughs) told my mom to put me in bed. And I, as a 20 year old, got tucked into bed because my mom was like, I'm so sorry. That's very sweet. It was cute. That's very sweet. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> it was awful. She had to drive me back to college the next day, and we didn't talk the whole drive. I walked home at 1 in the morning, and I saw uh, a black gentleman riding by, by me on his bicycle crying. I remember walking into the theater building, um, the Walgreens the theater building, and everybody just sobbing that day. Mm-hmm. It was horrible. So, so if you don't want that to happen again, get your asses out there and vote. Please, please vote. Share your 2016 election traumas with us. We're here to listen. Yeah, if you have any crazy stories, please do tell. The worst was the girl we knew who told everybody she voted for Hillary, but she had actually voted for Trump. That is, uh, we could get into a many minutes long discussion. She's Uh, a malignant force in this world, and anybody who does that is also. Anyway, welcome to the Teen Wolf Rewolf podcast, a podcast where we get way more political than we ever should be talking about MTV's Teen Wolf. My name is Christian. I'm Julia. And today we're going to be talking about episode eight of season two, Raving. Yeah, it was directed by Russell Mulcahy and written by Jeff Davis, so Uh, the dream team. The dream team, truly. And this episode is so good. It's really good. It's funny because when I think about my favorite episodes of season two, obviously episode nine, which is the party, Lydia's party is like mm-hmm. the first thing that comes to your mind. And then watching this, I was like, oh no, there's two home runs in a row. Like this one, I had so much fun watching. It, it was great. It's really, really good. And they also do an excellent job at the end of this episode of making it a to be continued without 
putting in a to be continued because which they did earlier this season and it yeah. didn't make any fucking sense you're like what's supposed to like there are so many things that you need to be resolved in the next episode but they're not like this is a two-parter no, yeah you just have to wait you have to yeah. be patient wait your turn I often find to be continued to be not that effective unless it's season, it, unless it's like a penultimate episode in a season finale. You know, I do think that, uh, it probably would be more effective if we were watching things live, but I do that so infrequently now that, uh, it doesn't mean anything to me when I see the to be continued and I'm just like next episode. Yeah. I mean also like my attention span is such that like a kind of need to be like binging a Mm storyline to actually hold on to it because if I'm doing like sort of the serial watching like appointment viewing it's harder because you're like wait what happened last week oh yeah well and then you like get behind and I the the last show that I watched like week to week and uh not the last show that's airing currently that I care about I'm just waiting for like the last season of The Good Place to come out on Netflix or the last season of Shit's Creek but I watched Jane the Virgin concurrently as it was happening and I would have to go back and rewatch the previous week's episode every week cuz I had no idea what was happening especially on Jane the Virgin I actually just feel like I stopped watching things like Monster of the Week when I just was in college and like no longer had cable um, I mean, like I'm, not having access to like my parents' television was why I was like, well, now I'll just never watch anything on time because I only have this laptop and the worst Wi-Fi in the world because I'm in the dorms. Oh, yeah, I just watched it all illegally. But I was watching stuff illegally too. I remember when Skins was coming out. My so the first season of like the first generation of Skins, my brother had torrented for us like. Oh, first siren of the episode coming in hot. Hey, what are we, two minutes in? Five? No, six? No more. <laughs> uh, I remember, oh, it's so, this one's aggressive. Oi. We hope they're okay. Thoughts and prayers. Every time a siren <laughs> passes, thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> no, my brother, my brother torrented the first two seasons, like the first generation of skins for all of us. And put it on a hard drive and then gave it to me, gave it to my older sister for her computer and then gave it to me and my twin for the desktop. So like we were, oh my, I'm trying to talk about a precious family memory of my brother stealing things. <laughs> it is very touching actually. Yeah. And then after we watched the first generation, he like torrented every episode for us. He like did a group torrent for every episode of Skins as they came out in the UK. Wow. Yeah. Well, also, like, my siblings are so much older than me that, like, our access to content that we could all kind of watch together was pretty much limited to teen television, which is why I love it so much. Um, So, like, we watched Gossip Girl together, and me and my brother watched 90210 together, and we watched The Vampire Diaries together, and Skins was the start of that. I was, like, 12. I should not have been watching Skins, but... You know what? It's fine. I'm pretty sure I I'm going to be talking about Skins, actually, a lot in this episode. Oh, because of the rave? I don't know. I've never seen yes. Skins. So well, really... I'll have a lot to say about Skins. Okay. Um, before we really dig into this episode, though, we probably should do our minute recap. Yeah. Who's going first? Our friend Savannah went first last time, so we're kind of out of order. Do you want a rock, paper, scissors? Yeah, let's make that a regular feature for the people who cannot see what we're, we're doing. doing. <laughs> well, we you know we give them the, the play-by-play afterwards. Yeah, true. All right, ready? Mm-hmm. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Dang! Gum it! It's oh, always no, me. I really thought you were gonna pick rock. By the way, I picked paper, she picked scissors. Yeah, no, I feel like it's really hard to play rock, paper, scissors with people uh, that you've played rock, paper, scissors with all the time, like your siblings, because you know what they're gonna do. But I didn't. I haven't done that. Oh, me and my siblings never played rock, paper, scissors. We just beat the shit out of each other before we decided who got what. Oh, I feel like uh, my siblings and I just did it on really long road trips, which was our family's thing, because. Uh, what else are you going to do? We, okay, you, you know in like the pre, like having a TV in your mom's minivan era? Portable DVD players, yes. No. Oh, oh. no? <laughs> Wait, this is so much more 90s than that. Do you remember those little televisions that had a VCR built in the bottom? Um, no. Okay, well they're like portable. Oh wait, yeah. Kind they're, of. They were just like little televisions um that had a vc like there were televisions with vcrs built into them but we had a mini one and my i think my mom or maybe my grandpa figured out a way to like stand it up on a milk crate and then plug it into the like 
cigarette lighter in the car because that's when cars still came standard with a cigarette lighter. Oh my God, this was a, or a long time ago, I guess. And we would watch Disney's Hercules. Hercules. It yeah. is my favorite Disney movie for that reason. And then once really? it was over and we ran out of Timbits, we would just start hitting each other. My favorite Disney movie for a long time was Aladdin because it was the only one my grandma had on VHS. Fair. Uh, yeah. Um, yes, but that's what we did on a long trip to Kansas, because we used to drive. To Kansas. To Kansas. Yeah. Um, we have now wasted so much time not doing the, the recap that I think I just got to go ahead and do it. Every time we sit down to do this, Christian's like, let's just bang this out really fast, and then it never happens. Well, sometimes I just feel like we have stuff to update the wolf pack on. Yeah. They also, would not be here if they didn't like the shenanigans. That's true. It's also partially chit-chat time for us. If you like the shenanigans, would you guys please leave a f- leave us a review on iTunes? Or if you don't like the shenanigans, maybe DM us on Twitter. Don't leave that in the review. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Um, positive vibes only. Positive vibes in the reviews. Negative vibes in the DMs. We all know how it goes. We'll accept them. We will. We accept, yeah. we accept criticism. Yep. Uh, I mean, <laughs> um, I mean, like we listen to it, whether we, or not we, we use it. it for anything. We read it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Okay. I'm ready. One minute on the clock starting now. So this episode starts with Jackson having this like weird, crazy moment where he's like leaves class and is like stalking some lady and then like they go to go find him and he's buying tickets for this rave that Matt invites Allison to and they decide that they're gonna go to the rave because they know Jackson has tickets and Isaac beats up some two idiots in the lacrosse locker room to get the tickets is really kind of sad and then like they uh, are planning this rave they're planning an attack on Jackson but Allison tells her dad that Jackson is the canima and so the the Argents are also planning an attack on Jackson at the rave and then um they get Deaton's help and they are going to inject him with ketamine and then uh, they manage to capture Jackson at the rave with like Allison, I mean uh, Isaac and Erica and Styles manage to capture Jackson but then he gets out anyway and kills the lady he was going to kill and then Allison's mom almost kills Scott with Wolfsbane but Derek rescues him and then Derek bites her so she's like definitely going to die and the end. You have three seconds left and you covered all, everything really. I think hell yeah. I, it just occurred to me we don't see Lydia in this episode at all. I wrote that in my notes because I was like, where is she? Where, I love her. Where is she at? Where? Holland Roden? I where? miss you. She's in the main credits. She should be in every episode. Well, I mean, Derek's in the main credits and he's not in every episode either. No, but he so. was in this one and we have definitely things to talk about him. Are you ready to do your... Yeah. Love you. All right. Un, deux, trois. Okay, so Jackson's in class and he gets like a secret telepathic message from his master that tells him to go buy um, tickets for the rave in the warehouse. And he runs into Matt, who is uh, absolutely terrified of him, um, buys the tickets and then uh, doesn't show up for morning lacrosse practice. And coach is really upset about it. They're trying, uh, Scott and Styles are trying to figure out how to get to the rave because they figured out that that's where Jackson's going to be. Um, Isaac steals the tickets, obviously. Allison and Scott have um, a really you know intense conversation in the the uh, classroom about the fact that her mom was asking God all these questions about whether or not they were having sex, but she sees them kissing through the a window of the classroom. Oh my God. And then, um, they go to Deaton and are like, how do we stop this thing? And he gives them, well, Hmm, nah, well, nope. Mount Nash. And Oh, the sheriff got fired sort of, you can't fire a sheriff, but, um, this is a really sad moment with Linda Nashby. And at one point styles is helping his dad figure out, who these people are and how they're connected. And that was not in order at all. No, I feel like I got big picture and you got my new show. Um, Shush. Come on. Well, there was some really, really quality Scott Sheriff Stolinski. Styles. I'm really happy. It, it does not help that both of their names start with an S. No. And that's why I always mix up people's names in this show. It's not because I'm not paying attention. No, I it's promise. because we're thinking so... We're, we're thinking, thinking it so hard. Well, we are th- so smart. We're like thinking in real time and like yeah. mess. Because I could see in my mind whomst I'm talking about. And then I'm like, ah, that's clearly Scott. It isn't. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah. So. Um, but let's talk a little about Scott. Because in today's episode, we are going to be discussing this um, episode of Teen Wolf through the theme of faith. And the faith that all of these characters have in themselves and each other and the universe 
And uh, it's kind of an interesting episode to do the subject of faith on because it's kind of a dark episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it is appropriate in, in how we see al- like alliances being drawn. So do we want to start with talking about Scott? Let's, let's do it. Primarily in this episode, Scott has faith in Allison. And shit is about to hit the fan as far as their relationship goes, which makes that all the more sad. Mm-hmm. But I think kind of one of the most telling things about Scott is that he loves her so much, he tells her to date somebody else, like to throw her mother off their scent. He's like, you can kiss them. Like he he, he basically is like, just cheat on me so that I know that we can be together, like without interference, which is a lot of faith to have in somebody. In most cases where this is a thing that happens in teen television, which like this is not an uncommon trope, it usually results in somebody genuinely cheating. But what we see is Allison being disgusted by her own actions. Yeah. Um, Which is, I mean, also she has faith in Scott. And like, I just think that that is something so telling. And I think you said something really interesting when we were watching that this is kind of the beginning of the end for them. Well, they're both so uncomfortable in that... Uh, scene in the classroom when they're talking about kind of what they need to do to get things going on saving Jackson. And I think that it's a culmination of a lot of things. I think uh, Allison is so hyper aware of being watched at school and so is Scott. And she's tired. We see that. We've seen that throughout this whole season is that she's really tired, like emotionally, spiritually, physically, uh, of having to keep her relationship with him a secret. So you can just kind of see them fracturing a little bit. When she walks out of the room, Scott says, I love you. She says, you too. But it's so dispassionate. It's so like, and you could see in her face that she really, really loves Scott. And she's so upset with what he's telling her to do. But like, she doesn't see any other way out of it. Mm -hmm. And it's all reliant on their faith in one another. And like, if we're talking about this in terms of like capital F faith, Mm -hmm that kind of faith is requiring you to like trust in something that you can't see and you don't have any empirical proof of, like you just have to believe. Um, and I think Allison doesn't have any empirical proof that this is all going to work out at the end of the day. If they all play their cards, right. She just has to have faith in it. But I think that that is really starting to wane. Um, I know we've transitioned to talking uh, about Allison. Allison a little bit, but she I mean, does. She, her, Scott's faith goes part and parcel to hers. Yes. And I think, I mean, Scott's faith is betrayed by two people in this episode. Um, Derek and Allison. Where I think Derek would kill Jackson if he had the chance. Yeah, but I don't know. Like Derek doesn't do, do any actual betrayal. Praying. In fact, he's the one who ends up saving Scott. He does. So I think in theory, I think in theory, Derek is ready to betray Scott. And at the end of the episode, he realizes he can't. Because they have faith in each other. That's and they also love wolf each other. Pack. <laughs> um, Just like, that's how we feel about you guys. Yeah, that's what aww. it's like to be in a wolf pack. We have faith in you and we love you. Hey. And you guys have zero faith in us. We can tell. <laughs> I, we're, we're trying to be worthy of such a thing. Good dolly we are. Um, Back on Scott. Yeah. I want to chit-chat a little bit about the faith he has in the the people in his life who serve maybe a more auxiliary role than Allison, like Isaac and Deaton. Yeah, Deaton had some moments um, in this episode because he has knowledge and is therefore useful, again. Mm-hmm. Um, but Scott's trusting him that he'll tell them the right things to do, that he's not tricking them. I mean, Scott has like an inherent faith in like the goodness of people. Um, Spider-Man, Spider-Man, <laughs> Captain America. Um, yeah. Sorry. I had something to say about that. And then we started singing the spider. <laughs> I mean, but no, you're right. Like Scott does have an inherent faith in people and his faith is not even necessarily um, questioned. Even when people have given him reason to like Derek and Isaac, um, but his faith in Deaton is kind of what leads them to so much of this plan. You know, he believes Deaton can do right by Styles to help him. He believes that Deaton can do right by Isaac by giving them the ketamine and like that this will work out. Because Deaton is the one who formulates the major plan to capture Derek. Derek. 
Jackson in this rave. (laughs) Again, I know who I'm talking about, I promise. Um, And he kind of has no other choice but to believe him. You know, he's never seen Mountain Ash in action. He has no idea whether or not ketamine is going to be the thing that takes down the Kanima, but he just has to believe Deaton. And as far as we know, like... Deaton is not a bad person, but has hidden a lot of himself from us. So that is blind faith on, on Scott's part. And that can be both a, you know, a really beautiful thing in a person, but also very dangerous. He's continually telling people that he's a veterinarian. Yeah. He really pronounces every (laughs) syllable in that word. Um, I quit at vet. (laughs) Yeah. Um, he, he's not revealing what he is to Scott who is smart enough to know that there must be something more. That can't be the whole story. And his sister slash the guidance counselor shows up at the end and is like, you're not telling them the whole truth. And he's just kind of like, yeah, well, whatever. (laughs) It'll be fine. Um, he's got a very kind of laissez faire attitude to it. And he's also not present for the action. He just kind of gives them the tools and is like, be, be well. He's kind of like a Dumbledore figure where he gives Harry like some knowledge, but not actually enough to ever fully complete any tasks in a reasonable amount of time. No. And Scott never goes through kind of the like, you know, questioning of his faith in someone like Harry kind of does in book seven where he's like, why didn't, you know, you tell me more or whatever. Yeah. Um, and in book five, uh, which is like, I don't know, is Scott dumber than Harry? They're both so dumb. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> you have to have dumb people as the main characters of your show, because otherwise, like, how would you get to introduce a smart best friend? Um, well, then show, when you have geniuses as the main character, they're assholes. Yeah, and they're so deeply unrelatable. <laughs> yeah. that's. I mean, but also, I mean, House ends up being a great show. But yeah, there is a way to do it better. People just don't. Um, well, House is so deeply flawed in ways that, like, neither Scott nor Harry are ever flawed. No, but you're talking about, like, how, like, you're, you, the person is either a genius or a, yeah. or a stupid, and I wish that there was more in between, because the stupid people are always likable, and the geniuses are always assholes. That's true. Um, but yeah, Scott is obviously likable, and his faith in people makes him even more likable. Um, I do... And, well, and it's what, like, gets him in trouble. It is, yeah. And, Always. And, and we'll really see that in season five. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever we have to finally talk about season mm-hmm. five. Uh, I do want to talk about Scott's faith in Styles, and then I kind of want to transition into Styles a little mm. bit. Styles has a huge role in making sure that this whole plan goes off correctly. And when it's introduced, he's kind of joking around, being like, that's a lot of responsibility. Can we give me something with, like, I don't know, a whole lot less responsibility? That'd be great. Uh, and Deaton's like, nope, you're the only non-werewolf in this situation, so it's up to you to create the barrier of Mountain Ash, which will keep Jackson from escaping. Yeah. It's interesting, because as much as Styles has kind of pitched himself as being, you know, the sort of, you know, brains of the operation, he really has taken a backseat for a lot of this show since, you know... Um, Scott has been bitten. And we can probably assume that in their previous life, Scott, I mean, Styles was the, you know, first mm-hmm. in command, and now that's not the case anymore. And I don't think that he's become complicit in his role as sort of the, you know, sidekick, but I think that there has been a certain amount of comfort allotted by the fact that he isn't a werewolf and can't actually take the risks that Scott does, and now he's all of a sudden in a position where he has to take that risk. And although he is hesitant at first, it speaks really well of Scott and Deaton to put their faith in him to make sure that that happens and that he does take that risk and does make it happen. I would agree. Um, yeah, I think Styles. I mean, in the first couple of episodes, we really see Styles is the one who like knows all of these things about being a werewolf that Scott doesn't know, but his well of knowledge has run out. He doesn't know how to contribute to the problems that they're having anymore. And to compound that with like everything that's going on with his dad and most of the decisions that Styles has made. Um, and I'm, I'm thinking very specifically of like kidnapping Jackson has led to a very like poor response, uh, from the other players involved. Like it hasn't, his plans haven't worked out. Mm-hmm. So 
I think it gives him like a renewed sense of purpose and drive. I mean, and when he finally completes his mountain ash circle around the building, like he is ecstatic because he ma- he made it work. Like it happened. He was like, I did something. That's quote verbatim from yeah. the show. And it's also like in question of faith, like he had to have faith in the magic of mountain ash and like of himself to be able to complete this task. Yeah. And when you're in that position, even if you know all these things about the supernatural world or whatever, like they're, you know, there's always going to throughout the show. They're like, does that exist? Can this exist? And it's like, yeah, I mean, everything is off the table at this point, but like it, it would be really hard to try to be like, I can make it knowing how much you've already poured out of the bag and how much you'll need to get to the, you know, connect the circle. And like, he has to have, I mean, he, it's in part faith. It's in part just kind of like hoping for the best, but isn't that kind of what faith is anyway? Yeah. Putting your faith thing you can't see. Yeah. 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 And that's really a a, a kind of stunning moment from styles. It's gorgeous. Um, it's interesting though, because that's a point that like it both really works for me in this episode and it really doesn't also at the same time, because I think when you're introducing like supernatural elements to a show and there's clearly an element of magic involved, I do think that there needs to be rules and all of the supernatural that we've seen so far has been related to like people and, uh, by people, I mean, werewolves, obviously like different shapeshifters. Like we've not really seen magic yet. I'd say what we experience is just sort of like biological magic. Like it happens within like a a form, but like we're not watching witches, you know, nobody is producing anything. Nobody is, you know, making magic happen on anything that isn't like genetic. Yeah. So I do like, I love the fact I, I, I love this episode and I particularly love the plot of styles pouring the ash around the building, but I also am sitting there thinking, hmm, hmm, too magic, too magic. I get you. Yeah. Um, should we talk a little bit about Styles and his father, and Oof. where Faith can sometimes break in this show? Which I think this is a moment of. It is so tough. Um, we talk all the time about how beautiful their relationship is and how well acted it is, and the chemistry between those two people and we really get a taste in this episode of just how frustrating styles can be for his dad and it's a really interesting transition from the beginning of the episode when styles is helping him figure out the connection between all of the people who have been murdered and then you get to the end of the episode and you find out that sheriff Solinsky has been fired not possible he's an elected official but um and he, he says this really heartbreaking thing to Styles that says, I don't want to feel worse because I had to yell at my son. Which is, it is really sad because Styles is like, you know, why aren't you more upset? And it's, that kind of response is really begat by the beginning of the episode when Styles brings him like healthy-ish food to eat for dinner. And he's like, I'm trying to help you live longer, you know? And he's, it's, it's sort of an expression of like, I need you, you're all I have left as you know, parents, but also it's kind of funny and he's just kind of taking care of his dad in the way that you do when you're a, a child of a single parent. And they have this kind of moment where they're like galaxy braining about this case and figuring stuff out. Like it is a moment of like real, like parent child bonding and probably not hours after that. Solinsky finds out that he is being removed from his position and to have to like basically, you know, take that part of his day and think about what happened to him next in coming from the same person is really tragic. And he doesn't have a partner uh, to help and to lean on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, really loved the bit about Styles bringing him uh, healthy food and a veggie burger and like celery sticks, particularly because I think you see that trope a lot with uh, daughters of single fathers as opposed to sons of single fathers where like the, the young, the daughter is taking on the role of the mom. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a, like a very pleasant reversal of that. And, um, is just a lovely display of like soft masculinity. Yeah. Tenderness. And, and in terms of faith, you see like styles, you see, you know, his dad kind of throws a, a huffy about not getting a burger. Um, but he, I think in that moment it occurs to him that Styles he has faith in Styles to be fine, and then 
realizing that that faith can only go so far because he can't always have faith in Styles being fine when Styles is breaking the law um, is is a serious thing to come to terms with for both Styles and the sheriff because I think that Styles had always had it in his head that if he ever got into big trouble he had faith in his dad to get him out of it because that was his job as a sheriff that he could get him out of any legal trouble but like you can't when there's lawyers involved and vice versa I think that the sheriff has always known that Styles um, that would be siren number two is everybody Speaking okay of legal troubles um I feel like these have been big sirens for a Monday night. Yeah. I think Chicago, are you okay? There's an ambulance. Oh no. Thoughts and prayers. Thoughts and prayers. Um, not flippant. We do very we much do care very much about mean the people. That. We love our neighborhood and, and hope everyone's okay. Yeah. Um, la, la, la. Oh, I think that the sheriff um, has always known that Styles is just going to keep like putting toes out of line, but I think he had faith that Styles would know when not to cross the line or like what the hard line was. Mm-hmm. And then styles just uh, tap danced all over it. Um, and not, in, not to be flippant, like styles really is trying to like save the world, but he can't tell his dad that. So his dad has no idea other than styles. explanation is we were, we were playing a joke. Yeah. Like it was just a joke. And that must've been so, so upsetting for him to hear. To and be like, have to explain. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think both of them have like betrayed faith in one another because they've both acted um, in very different ways than they've been expected to. Mm-hmm. It's really sad. <laughs> Taking a little bit of a detour on um, parental faith, I want to talk a little bit about Allison and Chris. Uh, yeah, we've seen um, Papa Argent for the first time in a while. I know. In this episode. J.R. Bourne, we missed you and your very, very white teeth. Yeah. He's very handsome. He's a handsome man. I wasn't on the train the first time I watched, but later on, like, he gets ruggeder and more rugged, ruggeder. That's <laughs> you don't like word. the put together <laughs> version of Chris? No. Give me a man with mud on his face. Um, Fun facts about Julia. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah. I, okay. Sorry, I got really distracted just, just now. Just thinking about how beautiful Jaraborn is. Also, I get distracted when I touch my own face. Don't touch your face, kids. Coronavirus. Oh, yeah. Don't touch um, your face. Wash your hands. Yeah. Um, anyway. Allison and... Allison and Chris. Christopher Argent. So, their line of faith goes both ways in this episode. And it is a risk to to them each to have faith in each other. I think more so than Chris knows to have faith in Allison, but it's a risk for Allison for sure to have faith in Chris. So he takes her to the morgue to see the dead bodies and is like, and tells her, this is why we do what we do. People die if we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, which people die if you do too. They're just werewolves. So what up? But uh, I think, I think that seems really important because we haven't had like a reinforcement about why Chris feels the way that he does in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's good to just know that he feels the way he does because he thinks it's the, like the morally righteous thing to do. Not just cause it's fun to kill werewolves with swords, which is clearly how Gerard and Kate. Yes. Um, yeah. And he basically is like, I'm not showing you this to, you know, make you feel sad. I'm showing this because you have information I need. And if mm. you don't give it to me, this is what happens. Um, so he does kind of have to push Allison into giving him that, but he does have faith that she will offer that information. And then she does. And Allison does tell her dad that Jackson is the canima, which she has to have a massive amount of faith in him to do because she knows that the end game of telling her family is a, is isn't is is an act on Jackson's life, and Scott's. Yeah, and um, and it's not like she does that lightly. She thinks she has no other options at that point. Well, and Chris is also lying to her. Yes, um, by telling her that they will capture Jackson as opposed to killing him, which is ultimately the plan. Except, is it because no, no, um, so her faith is really misplaced. Um, which is unfortunate because we've seen Chris be like a very reliable parent and somewhat reasonable in the past. So it would make sense why she feels that way. Um, 
And I don't know. It's just like uh, all of the parent child relationships in this episode and the previous one are just so sad. Everybody's disappointing. And it gets even sadder in the next episode. So hold on tight. We'll pack. Yeah. Let's see if I feel emotion about Victoria. Dying. Oh, I was going to, I was talking about the, Oh, Oh, (laughs) not Allison. No, I was talking about all the hallucinations everybody has at the party. Oh, Oh, that's horrible. Can't wait to talk about that. I know. I love sadness. (laughs) Um, I don't know if I have anything else on the origins. I think that they're both taking there. These are, you know, leaps of faith for them. And, and it ultimately ends up in, um, what is going to be the death of Allison's mother? So I don't know if they acted in the right way, either of them. I mean, I don't like Victoria because she's an abhorrent bitch, but yes, but we feel bad for Allison. Yeah. We feel bad for Allison and we do feel bad for Chris because as we've said before, he is the most triumphant, like uh, redemption arc in the show. Yeah. And maybe without her death, he wouldn't have it, but I also hate fridging women just to get somebody to get on the right side of history. So that's its own problem. Yeah. I would feel much more upset about it if Victoria were even a little likable and she's she's so not deeply unlikable. Um, I think I kind of want to move into the other werewolves now. Namibis. We got to talk about Isaac and we should talk about Derek. Let's talk about Isaac first because I think your conversation about Derek is going to be a little bit longer. Yeah. Isaac is distrustful of Scott and Styles in this episode, which is funny because they haven't really given him a lot of reason to distrust them. I mean, he is the one who gets them their tickets for the show, but when he walks into the veterinary clinic, he says something about not trusting them. I mean, I think that that just is part and parcel of being uh, a member of Derek's pack because he knows that... Like he's being indoctrinated in some way. <laughs> yeah, well, I think so because, I I mean, I don't know if there's like an inherent rivalry between wolf packs, but Scott and Styles are their own wolf, are their own pack. Like, I mean, including other people, Allison, Lydia, but he's not in this episode. Tragic. I mean, Isaac, I think is keenly aware that he's not part of that circle. Like he's with Derek and he knows that Scott doesn't trust Derek entirely. Mm -hmm. So he does have faith in him. (sighs) Clench his fist. Um, I forgot where I was going with that. Sorry. (laughs) No, that's, that's the other theme of this episode is that Julia just just loses her train of thought. Um, yeah, I think, Isaac doesn't know where to put his faith. I don't think he's ever had faith in a parental figure. Well, uh, I don't think he has in a while. He mentions yeah. in season three that, you know, he used to, his dad did, was not always this bad. bad. And he had a mom and a brother and stuff. Yeah. But he has been on his own for a very long time. So it makes you incredibly mistrustful. Yeah. Like, like there are so few people who are jumping to take care of you. The one person who might is probably going to be where you, he's putting all of his, his eggs in one basket, but then later realizes that Scott has his best interest in mind. So Isaac kind of begrudgingly goes along with his plan to go to this party and stab Derek and have a really weird sort of three-way dance with Jackson and Erica. We'll do that in cues and nose. It was very strange. So uncomfortable. Um, but I think he realizes when Scott says, be careful. And he says, I don't think this is going to hurt Jackson. And Scott says, no, I, I want you to be careful. He realizes that Scott like has, has you know has value for his life that I don't think he understood was there before and therefore has a lot more faith in Scott and realizes that Scott has faith in him uh it's the beginning of a beautiful friendship I know and then it is then Isaac just disappears and we're all sad yeah um although my mom really likes that Medici show that Daniel Sharman is in on Netflix so if you're into mom television go ahead I think and watch it's literally it. just called the, the Medici's okay cool um, I actually just think it's called Medici 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 Italian let us know if you're Italian I am not so yeah guide. give us the pronunciation guide um Isaac's just looking particularly good Always. Always. Daniel Sharman, you foxy mama. <laughs> Love that description. <laughs> he, he, I've said it before, I'll say it again. He looks like the David statue. Speaking of Italians. <laughs> it's the it's the jaw. It is. And the hair. Yeah. Yeah. It's very blonde. 
And curly, and he's tall. He's so much taller than everybody else in the show. It's so funny because Daniel Sherman is like, what, 6'2", 6'3"? We looked it up once. But everybody else in the show is like 5'10", so he looks giant because that's just what acting is. Yeah. It's just short, short dudes. Yeah. And you're just like, he's hunched over 90% of the time. The funniest thing about being like my height, which I don't even consider myself very tall, is that when like, like I'm in a room with a bunch of actors, I'm generally as tall as all the men in the room. It's wild to like be on the train and be standing next to women who are like average height and realizing that I'm not particularly tall, but I'm much taller than they are. Yes. I like being the tallest person on the L, on the L platform. I do. I do too. <laughs> I, have a, I have a friend, Maya, who's like six one and she wears heels to be even taller because it's not enough. Bless her. I loved, I remember every once in a while when I'd be like waiting for the bus in college, I'd be like, I have to be the tallest person at the bus stop. And if I wasn't, it always kind of made me sad. <laughs> that is, uh, incredible. The average height of an American woman is five, four <gasps> teeny tiny ladies. That's crazy. <laughs> that sounds bonkers. I, yeah, I don't know if I believe that. I don't believe that at all. Wild. Interesting. Okay, so um, we talked about Isaac. We talked about Isaac. Let's break into Derek. Uh, Derek's faith in Scott is... Tremendous. Tremendous. And tested in this episode. And the result of that test is that he has a desperate amount of faith in Scott. And needs him. And he knows he needs him to defeat the Kanema. But also loves him... Mm-hmm. Um, we, which like, what is faith if not love in some level? Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I will needle point that into a pillow. <laughs> what is faith if not love? Um, well, it's somebody's going to come back me with, come back to me with like some like answer, like with a thesaurus and be like, well, actually, <laughs> well, actually, actually, um, I do think that we've said before uh, we've talked a lot about how much Derek loves Scott and it's been really frustrating because we haven't gotten to see it really at all. Um, in this episode, like we see a little bit of it, but this is one of the first real examples of, you know, Scott's the first new werewolf that Derek ever had to meet. They reunited against, uh, going up against Peter. He had to tr- teach him how to be a werewolf, werewolf school. Um, and did a way better job with Scott than he did with his new babies. Yeah. Well, Scott is exceptional. Scott is a true alpha. Yeah, but Derek's also an absentee dad. Yeah, Derek's the worst. They they were like, let's rewrite Derek's entire character for season two. Ready? Let's go. Um, Who's ready for some retcon? Always. Always. Teen Wolf is always <laughs> ready for some retcon. Um, but I think, well, okay, Derek also has a lot of faith in Deaton. Um because they clearly know each other, even though they're pretending that they don't. They know each other. We know they know each other. Come um, on. I mean, Derek also is sitting back and letting Deaton come up with this whole plan. He tr- he has faith in Styles that he will accomplish what he's doing. He has faith that Scott... The whole thing is, like, he sends Erica and Isaac in there to take care of the ketamine or whatever. But ultimately, I think he knows that Scott is going to be the one, or he thinks that Scott's going to be the one to take care of the problem. And that doesn't end up happening because Scott gets run over by a car. Um, and almost killed. And almost killed. But he clearly has way more faith in Scott than in any other person. Yeah. And when Scott calls, he has no choice but to come to him. Because he knows Scott is dying just by the sound of his voice. And he has, you know, he has faith enough in Scott to risk letting loose the Canima to go save him. Yeah, and it also appears to me that, um, and I don't know if they just like forgot to film a reaction shot from Erica and Isaac, but it seems that Derek is the only person who can hear Scott yeah. howling because he is in such under such duress. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's like an alpha thing. I don't know if it's because he and Scott have a bond mm-hmm. um, because they love each other, but he's the only one. And also Derek is now at this point where he tells Scott in the beginning of season one that they're brothers now. And after Peter's death, which we know it does not, is not permanent. (laughs) (laughs) And this is pre... It's Crayola washable. (laughs) Pre Uh, his other sister showing up. Yeah, this is pre Cora. Like Scott is the last family he has. And if there's anything Derek has proven to have faith in, it's family. And that's why he keeps trusting Peter for so few reasons. (laughs) And then ultimately takes care of Scott. And I Mm -hmm. think what Derek also has is... Is faith in the Argent's code. 
he pointedly bites Victoria, knowing that she will commit suicide. Do you think? Yes, I do. Interesting, because that I is I think not... he would claw her or push her over. He bites her on the shoulder. It's not like... Like, that is not the first line of the werewolf's attack. We kind of know that Derek is more likely to claw somebody or punch them than it is than he is to bite them. He knows exactly what he's doing. He would not bare teeth if he didn't. It, that's interesting. Um, I had not thought of it that way. I, My initial inclination would be because of the wolfsbane in the room that he's not thinking clearly. But I, I mean, mean, he might be a little loop-de-doop-de. But I, I, again, like, I think... If I'm like thinking about what it feels like to be intoxicated. I don't think that makes me bitey. <laughs> it doesn't make me bitey and it doesn't make me murderous. Um, you know, I That's it. I've never done bath salts. If you have, let us know. <laughs> if you have Are you okay? Do you live in Florida? <laughs> um, uh, you know, I think that that's a reaction to if that is true that he bites her because he knows that she will commit suicide, I think it's a reaction to the interaction that he has earlier in the episode when they start shooting at him and Boyd for no reason whatsoever. Yes. Yeah. Also, the Argents have already killed his family, so I don't think Derek has any reservations about killing the Argents. But I... I know he knows it was Kate, but, like, at this point, he's like, what do I have left? I do think that Derek is able to differentiate between... Kate and Chris and Gerard and Chris. Yeah. I don't think but Victoria is dummy. also way more on the side of Gerard than Chris. Yes. And she's trying to kill, kill Scott. Scott. So again, like at that point it's like, if it's Scott's, if it's Scott's life or yours, I'm saving his and you, you can go fuck yourself. You know, that's so interesting because they totally could have used that as a really interesting plot point and they didn't. Oh, Teen Wolf is not that smart. No. We discussed this. We're like, wow, this was a good episode. And then later we're like, Teen Wolf is the dumbest show that has ever aired. Wow. And yet here we are and here the wolf pack is listening. And Deep we love diving you guys. every week. Deep diving. Um, do you want to move into Q's and O's? Sure. Do you got any Q's? Um... Yeah, actually, I do. Oh, okay, go ahead. I Yeah, I barely took any notes, so that is surprising. Um, when Victoria sees uh, Scott and Allison kissing, heavens to Betsy, what will they think of next? Yes. Um, <laughs> I clutched my pearls. It No, and like, there's a really great shot where it's just like just underneath her face, and she looks like she is on bath salts. And my question is, do you think she knew Scott was lying? Last episode? Of course. What? But but she was willing to let it go until she saw something concrete? Um, I think it didn't behoove her to do anything. I think she was waiting for the right time to act. Mm. And that just like pushed her over the edge? Uh, yes. I mean, I think she's watching them to make sure. She, I mean, like, given the code, which I think she loosely follows, she does have to have like something pretty crazy to... That would be siren number three, ladies oh and gentlemen. <laughs> Chicago, really are you funny. okay? The lights at the drive-in bank go on every time a siren or a siren passes, a fire truck passes. Interesting. Weird. Again, we feel very safe living by the firehouse. They're just loud. <laughs> They're just so loud. I have to sleep with white noise because sometimes they go off at three in the morning and you're like, well, am I dying? Um, that was my question. I mean, I... It's not that I didn't think she did know, but it was kind of weird that like they had that whole interaction and then they had that scene. I mean, I guess you needed that additional push. Wait, but do you ever hate stalk somebody? You know, when you really don't like somebody, so you spend an hour on their Instagram. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm she's hate stalking him. Yeah. She's hate stalking him. Um, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. That was my question. Okay. Do you have any O's? Do you want me to share an O? You can share an O. Okay, so this is something that I when I said I was going to talk about skins, I was going to talk about this one. Mm. In one, okay, here's what I first know. The use of music in this episode is amazing, especially at the rave, but also throughout most of it. Like, obviously the MTV licensed music kind of makes a show. It was kind of what was so fun watching it the first time. You now MTV. you're a little bit like, this music is old, but whatever. <laughs> but there's a scene when Allison and Scott have this really kind of heartbreaking argument. It's a very adult fight, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, where he finds out that Allison has told Chris about Jackson. And instead of having them yell over the music, they turned the music down so they can hear each other. <laughs> they which is turned just... turned the music down so they could see. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we could see. So we could see. So funny, the rave is the brightest thing we've seen in Teen Wolf, and it should be the darkest. Yeah. Um, and that frustrated me because I think there's a way to have that conversation where we can hear the first parts of it and then kind of have it descend into the music and still know what's happening. And one of my favorite scenes in Skins ever uh, is in the episode where Sid's dad dies, and he's kind of been on, like, the... He, him and his best friend Tony have been kind of fighting or they haven't had the best relationship during that season and Sid he wakes up and realizes his, his dad is dead and then just goes to school and he goes through this whole day with all of his friends like going on these crazy adventures and stuff and then they are going out to a Crystal Castles concert and they're there and you can't hear anything over the music and you just see Sid mouth to Tony my dad died I didn't know what to do so I just went to school and it is my favorite scene in all of Skins. It is so heartbreaking. But that, like, you know, you know what Sid is telling him, and like Tony takes him home, and they like call the police and like take care of it. But it is like because you can't hear it, and it is so emotionally charged. It is so much more poignant. And I just wish that that's what they had done, and just turned the music way the fuck up, and I had not heard what they were saying because the fallout would have been so much more affecting. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, I wish we could have seen that. Um, I did think that that fight was super interesting because the the crux of it is, and I, uh, in my quest for things to post on Instagram, have seen this gif constantly. Allison says, I trust you more than anyone. But trust isn't what she needs. She needs someone who's going to take care of the problem, and she clearly doesn't think that Scott can do that. Mm-hmm. Which is just so awful because he's so betrayed but she thinks that she did the right thing and she wants to express to him that like she does trust him more than anyone he just can't do what she needs him to do yeah which is get rid of the cannibal yep uh another note on the rave scenes which is where all my observations came from one the weird like threesome dance between isaac and jackson and erica was so unnecessary it's (laughs) disgusting and they bump into mr harris yeah, that also grossed me out. But here's my thing. If Isaac was going to be the one to go and stab Jackson, they either needed to have just Erica dance with him and have Isaac come from behind or just have Isaac dance with him and make that statement or whatever. But because it's three of them, it just feels like somebody's weird like teenage fantasy. And I was like, who did this? Jeff Davis. Let Jeff. us know. Jeff, we have so many questions. If anybody has Jeff Davis's email address. Come on the podcast, Jeff. Come on the podcast. Russell Mulcahy, we want you on the podcast. <laughs> Desperately. Please. Please. Um, yeah, that just felt like... We would do it, it in an ju- actual You know what studio. it was? Gratuitous. <laughs> yes. Sometimes, and mostly, I felt this episode was pretty clean, but sometimes they put stuff like that in there and you're like, I didn't need that for anything. I'm... I'm and I'm I'm not like a, a prude like I, any gross shit can happen in television and I'm cool but I want it to be justified. Look, if I'm gonna sit down and watch a 45 minute episode, I don't. Want, I expect a little sex and violence, but I want it to be earned. <laughs> I want it to be earned, yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a thing like you can uh, filler episodes are fine, but this wasn't an out and out filler episode, so. To just have that weird moment, I'm like, this serves no function in the story. No, again, it could have been Erica and have Isaac, or just give Erica the ketamine. Which would make so much more sense. Yeah, give the girl the task. I'm sure she's very responsible. She's a woman. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um... And then we do see Mr. Harris and he's with some young girl and all he says, his only line is, she's 21, which, um... I don't necessarily know if this was uh, necessary for this episode at all, but it is cool to confirm that Mr. Harris is just the creepiest, grossest motherfucker on this planet. I mean, mercifully, he did not say she's 18. Yes. (laughs) That would have been so much worse. No, I think the Teen Wolf writers knew what they were doing. They knew if it had been 18, like it would have been like very unsettling for the audience but But I think they did want to make the point that A she's allowed to drink and B she's not 18 yeah Um, but they also were like but also he's a creep and dating a 21 year old yeah don't do it don't do it oi oi yeah um do you have any O's that I I missed I have a couple okay um two characters employ the head tilt of evil 
They do. Um, Jackson does his little head tilt when he's standing and buying his ticket. Um, and it's always one of those things where like a character is standing completely still and then they like tilt their head to the side in like a really jerky manner. And I, I can think of so, so many, uh, instances where that happens in TV and Jackson does it and Victoria does it where she's like, don't you understand head tilt? I'm killing you, which is horrendous, terrible. It's all awful. Again, I just want villains with a little bit of like (laughs) je ne sais quoi. Like if you could have a little bit more like a class and nuance to your villainy, I'd be way more interested in it. Don't you understand? I'm killing you. That's the most annoying thing to say. That's like somebody being like, stop hitting yourself. (laughs) Yes. Um, I'd also love to know who designed the like Argent War Room because um, everything is like very industrial and there's one rug and it is exactly the width and length of the table that is standing on top of it. And it is just so funny to me (laughs) that like... This is, this like the one womanly touch in the room, but it's not like a normal rug, rug. where yeah. like, yeah, okay. Um, my my <laughs> friends in design and production used to say this thing where they're like, set design is so hard, even the worst set designers are good set designers. Yeah, that makes sense. Yep. Um, I mean, I thought it was a really funny touch, and I don't think it was meant to be funny, but I enjoyed it. And yeah. um. La, la, la. Oh, I had one other thing. Okay. When Isaac and so when after Silas is done creating the mountain ash barrier around the rave and everyone starts coming out, I did. I already know you had this observation, and I have a counterpoint already. So go ahead. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, everybody's drinking water, hydrate or dehydrate, but because um, they're all in Molly, and that's what you do, <laughs> not from experience. But when they come out, Isaac and Erica kind of like stop and look at the ring. I mean, I guess they knew what was going to happen. That's what I was going to say. Isaac was there for the plan. But I think that they probably would have been so distracted that they would have, like, started walking and then run into the barrier. Like, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me personally as a choice, but whatever. No, I think when they're leaving, that's when Isaac would be like, oh, shit, the barrier. Yeah. The very act of them leaving, I think, would bring well, them. Would you know, but I think memory. what would have made that more effective for me is that, like, if Erica was about to step over and Isaac put a hand. Yeah, like, you do want to see the actual effects arm. of the of the the um, mountain, mountain ash, which we don't even see the weird like blue force field until the next season. So yeah. I think that that's a thing on its own. Um, but yeah, I just I think that there would have been enough warning, and I think Erica is probably well aware of the plan. Obviously, she's there, dirty yeah. dancing. <laughs> Gross. So funny that like they keep putting Erica on like all of these low cut tops and blah 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 blah, and then she's wearing like a muscle shirt. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> which like strange. I think everyone looks good in a muscle shirt for the record. But I was like, no one's wearing rave clothes. Lots of Henleys in this episode. I love a Henley. To... We have discussed the very sexiness of a Henley shirt. Yeah, um, I th- I didn't think the costuming was really anything to come on but i'm pretty sure that almost every single male character wears a henley Henley. yeah no my issue is with the rave costuming because even if you're not like somebody who like goes to raves like allison isn't she'd probably wear like a a black top i love how you said goes just now goes (laughs) it goes to raves oh yeah (laughs) i just felt a little canadian today um Um, which i'm not but yeah no i think even allison wouldn't wear a cardigan no i would never wear a clothes i could lose to a party smart yeah. Um, anyway, do you have an alpha of the week? Oh, I, pack stats. Sorry. Pun yeah. Too. Well, I had one last observation. Oh, sorry. It's not a long one. We sang Russell Mulcahy's directing praise uh, in the last episode, and I thought he did an excellent job here as well. There are two really gorgeous shots um, that we both commented on we were while we were watching it. We were like, oh, pretty. Which ones? We liked it. Um, the one where uh, the camera is kind of coming up from the floor to see... Uh, Victoria's face mm-hmm. and no, I can't remember what the other one was I think I really liked the shot of Jackson's face behind the bars when he's buying the ticket for the rave oh yeah gorgeous yeah. um oh I personally loved when Jackson his whole ass fingers are in that girl's throat yeah um and she like slides down the refrigerator flaps oh yeah that was good that was a good horror moment it was really good um alrighty do you have pack stats pack stats are short this week no shirts off um not a single one two eyes two claws um and no ads that I saw I I didn't notice any ads for this one like I said very clean episode not a lot of distractions yeah it was good we had fun do you have an alpha of the week Derek Derek saves Scott yeah Derek keeps Scott McCall 
alive and like forfeits the entire plan, gets Styles to break the mountain ash barrier for him to save Scott because he's the only one who can hear his cries and knows where he is. Yeah. It's very touching. I guess, I don't know. I don't want to be a contrarian because I kind of do think it's Derek, but I also want to give a, I'm just going to give a, a, like, they can be like the betas of the week. The like, beta of the week. Like the Styles and Isaac, I think both get beta of the week cred. Styles yes. for his mountain ash faith and then for Isaac for being the one to stab Jackson with the ketamine. Stizak. Yeah. Yeah. Big fans. Big fans. Huge supporters. All right, everybody. I think that about wraps this episode up. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope that you please leave us a review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at TeenWolf underscore ReWolf. We are also on Instagram at that same handle. You can follow us on Tumblr at TeenWolfReWolf. And from there, you guys can follow all of our personal handles. Uh, next week, we'll be back with another regular episode. Um, our March bonus episodes will be coming soon. There'll be more info about that coming. If you guys would like to submit a picture of your pet to be our wolf of the week on Twitter and Instagram, uh, please do. We're getting so many cute animals in the DMs and it's making our hearts sing. Um, we love it. We love to see it. And as always, if you guys have commentary on any of the episodes, uh, please DM us or tweet at us or whatever. And we would love to share your guys' thoughts for Q's and O's or if you guys ever want to counter a point we've made. Yeah, if you think we're wrong. Yeah, tell us. I mean, again, we might ignore <laughs> it. Because <laughs> we're never wrong. We are but... never wrong. No, we totally are. But <laughs> here's the, the thing about Teen Wolf. It's so whack. Nobody can be right. Oh my God. That would be siren number four. I think that means we need to wrap up this episode <laughs> and go check what's going on in our neighborhood. All right. We hope you guys have a wolf of a week. Awoo! Awoo!